Welcome to MI Cynic, the podcast with a license to inform. This is your host, Thomas Brancato. Today, I have the honor of introducing Mr. Matthew Shaw, fellow at the Global Counterterrorism Institute and doctoral candidate at the University of St. Mark and St. John. In both cases, pursuing novel research on the incel involuntary celibate subculture. His previous education includes degrees in social policy and criminology, both at the University of St. Mark and St. John. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the opportunity. Tell us a little bit about your education and your work. I believe you said that uh, you're from Plymouth originally. Well, I originally come from a naval family and was born up in Scotland and moved down to Plymouth um, to be by the dockyard for my early years up to about five or six years old. Then I moved back up to Scotland and spent up to my mid-twenties in and around Glasgow. I did my formative growing up there and everything like that. I moved back down with uh, my wife and kids at the time to Plymouth just to get better opportunities with the schools. Um, and that sort of inspired me to look for a way out of way out of um, Plymouth, really. And at the time of the Yazizi mountain attack by ISIS was covering the news quite a lot. And it, for some strange reason, it really caught my attention that the same happened on September 11th. I was actually on a flight to Amsterdam at the time. So it'd been something that I'd been sort of looking at terrorism and extremism just sort of casually for, for 10 years or so. Um, when I started university, I actually did my bachelor's degree in criminology, where I looked predominantly at Islamic extremism. And then I moved on to social policy for my master's, where I looked at Islamic extremism as well. Um, but looking for some of the subjects from other modules, I started to touch upon things such as the underreporting of intimate partner violence against males, which is something that I had experience in in my previous workplaces in drug and alcohol outreach. So it's sort of come a little bit full circle. I've gone back to what I was doing at work, but now on a more sort of academic and educational level. I find that really interesting because... The lumping together, if you will, of, of terrorism, radicalization, and incel, perhaps is, to me anyway, a more modern uh, understanding or, or take on it. I can imagine in my life, you know, that 20 years ago, uh, incel was not really a word that at least I, I would have heard and perhaps uh, would have been part of the mainstream. And so it's interesting how now that's sort of being studied together with terrorism and radicalization. We'll be getting there in a moment about what links those might have have and why we do tend to study these uh, these topics side by side. But for the moment, Matthew, I want to just turn our attention to a news story, perhaps the, the most one of the most recent ones that we've had uh, here in the UK uh, regarding the incel phenomenon. And of course, I'm talking about something that uh, happened in your hometown in Plymouth a few months ago on the 12th of August. And, well, this was one of the largest mass shootings committed in the UK. It was committed by Jake Davidson of Plymouth, who was uh, linked to the incel movement. So this is the university that you studied as well in Plymouth. And so, and of course, it's a subject that you study. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering when that the news broke out, how did this impact you personally? Uh, did it kind of strike close to home? When the news broke, um, I was actually driving past the incident um, as it happened. It was, it was very close to one of the main thoroughfares at sort of rush hour traffic in the city. 
then I sort of got home and went straight on to my LinkedIn, all the general news sources and everything like that. I was also getting the social media side of it through just my social connections. I know people that live in the area. I know people that work in the places that he worked. I myself worked in a boat building factory that works alongside staff from where he worked. Um, so it wasn't something that sort of surprised me in terms of the atmosphere that exists amongst those workplaces. There is still a sort of aspect of old school sort of misogynistic male young men's clubs sometimes. Um, but in terms of my experiences within the university, it wasn't something that was obvious to me, which was quite strange because um, Marge on the university that I went to, there's a sports-based university so things in terms of things that incels talk about, the chads and the jocks and everything, that sort of side of their ideology, they're very present, but there was never sort of any animosity. It wasn't something that I came across. And in my own, amongst my own cohort in both of my courses at the university, I was predominantly one of two men in the course that was 90% female. So it wasn't something that I sort of came across or I did come across more so was the, the uh, I guess, looking at that, those types of discussions, dating during student life and everything, but from a female perspective, because that's where all my friends were at the time. So it, it sort of gave me an understanding from the other side. I can see um, some of Jake Davidson's problems, but I can see some of the reasons why we, society, and especially around Plymouth, can contribute to that. And here the large disclaimer is that the incel phenomenon is not something I am a proficient a specialist in by any means. Uh, you know, I'm learning as we go along here. But I believe that's useful in its own way. And the information I get is from the news more than anything. Well, I think what struck me, and perhaps this, this resonates with you as well, Matthew, is Toxic masculinity is a word that that I'm hearing a lot more often. I think this is part of the debates that we're having now as a society. It's uh, what is the role, of, what is the place of masculinity within society? Is there a problem with groups of young men? And the incel movement is often thrown in there, and we're debating that as well. But what struck me during this this heinous, horrific event was the giant leap that at least in my mind between having that conversation about toxic masculinity and a mass shooting which seems like a very extreme action to take and so i think this perhaps awakened many people about you know it's not necessarily a harmless movement it's not you know there's a real danger and to what we're discussing and this is the the logical result if you will of unchecked uh, incel sort of paranoia or whatever we'll be getting that in in a second but i think the, the point that i want to raise that for me when the news broke out it was a big unexpected shock and i can imagine it for you as well uh, you know growing up and studying and living in plymouth as you do all of a sudden these aren't things that we read on a page. Go so far as to say it's something that I wouldn't have expected to happen in Plymouth. I had spoken to my partner and at the university to lecturers about it being a problem. And I think that, that Plymouth is provides 
almost a breeding ground because opportunities for young people across the board are very limited. There's very little investment into social structures or youth clubs or anything like that. So there, there is that sort of breeding ground for that in here. It's a very male populated city. There's a Navy base here. There's multiple dockyards. There's an army base here. So there is a lot of that, I guess, testosterone fueled masculine job roles in and around the city as well. And that I think can feed in and it just helps. And this is something that I want to return to as well is what exactly is the relationship between masculinity, traditional, toxic, whatever suffix uh, prefix you want to add on to it, masculinity or men specifically, and uh, the breeding ground, as you say, for the insulin, what that relationship is. But I want to take a step back, Matthew, uh, because I'm actually, um, I'm interested as well in in your um, sort of the direction that your academic life and professional life has taken to lead you into study in cells um, because your earlier work correct me if I'm wrong had to do with you looked at as you said Islamic extremism and I believe you've done work as well on rehabilitating Syrian children so I'm interested in how you went from those aspects into the insult movement was there a specific event like the Plymouth shootings or did this happen before the decision to move into a more incel focused uh, mode of study, I guess, came from a discussion with a lecturer that I was having in relation to my thesis, looking at rehabilitations for Syrian children. And I came up with a conversation about feminism and I discussed about it needing a reframing because some t- there's arguments within the media that some people would argue that feminism has gone too far. And um, I raised the point of, we talk about men's rights activists, they form part of the manosphere, the incel discourse. Um, and they've been cast as violent, misogynistic, and that sort of it. It's been left at that. Um, I sort of got a little bit belittled by the member of staff, and that just sort of ignited a fuel in me then to sort of go, no, this is something that does need to be looked at. I myself was the victim of an abusive relationship. Um, so it was something that I sort of buried. And then when I started to research it again, it sort of became a bit more bubbled to the surface. And I think during the internship with the Global Counterterrorism Institute, I found that, again, a lot of my cohort, a lot of it was based on the more religious aspects and political aspects of terrorism. And I, according to the definition, you need the political aspects. But I think there's a, a sociological, extreme, a social-based extremism is something that we really need to start looking at now. And I think the, the act of terrorism is to cause terror. Does it need to have that political underlying undercurrent. I very much agree with you that I think the incel movement, it touches on a lot of other movements in society. It's not an isolated vacuum. And this is one of the reasons why I want to speak about it on on this podcast, because if anybody out there is wondering, well, you know, why are you talking about the incel movement on, on a security and intelligence podcast? Well, it's because before in my other previous podcasts I spoke on this channel about terrorism and specifically about the rise of ultranationalist or so-called white terrorism in Norway. And uh, there's many other examples as well. Perhaps this is on on the rise, extreme far-right terrorism. And I think there might be a, a link there to be made with the incel movement and where this might lead. Having said that, going back to the Plymouth shootings, 
this event for me shares similarity to the Isla Vista killings. These were committed by Elliot Roger in, uh, in the United States, who was self-declared part of the insult movement. The resemblance there is uncanny and worrying. And this, you know, this is more of the reason perhaps why I feel this is such an important topic to be discussing and to be researching and to be taking seriously and not treating as a separate, isolated, let's say, purely social or cultural concern. This has serious ramifications for security and safety in society as well. Well, the question that I have when we put these two shootings side by side, I'm wondering if the UK as well is heading towards a greater number of uh, insult-motivated attacks, uh, like the ones that we've seen in the US. What, what's your opinion on that, Matthew? I personally struggle a little bit with the, with the labelling of the Jake Davidson case, um, having looked at his internet output, whilst there is reference to incel subreddits and incel content on his YouTube, there's also a lot of discussion that he had on incel exit. So he was looking to, to leave, and he'd realised that th there was a negative aspect of this feeding his negative self-image, I guess. And there, there are other factors at play that the police investigation hasn't been handled very well. There was failings by the police, whereas in he'd actually had his weapon taken away from him following a previous assault and it had been given back to him. And I, I myself actually, the day after, so what would have been the Friday after the attack, took what I had compiled from my own research that evening into the police station, made a statement and told them to contact me if they, if they wanted any further information. I never received anything. And now two months later with the inquest still happening, I've wrote specifically again to the lead investigator offering just a conversation to sort of say, this is what I'm doing. Cause I looked, I'm looking to do this in my PhD next year. So I think the Jake Davison case is a bit of a, a weird, a weird one to sort of hold aside, but there have been cases, other incel-related cases in, in Britain before, they just not received as much media attention. Um, ben Mahanian is, is one from Portsmouth where he stabbed three women um, over three separate occasions. And he again spoke of the misogynistic values that you see within incel rhetoric and output. So I think there is a problem here. And I think in every other aspect of socialization, Britain tends to follow America. And I think having children myself that are 17, 13, eight and six, you can see that the, stress, the stresses and pressures that they face over here are exactly the same. So I don't see any reason why we should be thinking that it isn't going to be an issue for, for, for British people, for British society. No, absolutely not. I agree that uh, trends that happen in the United States have a habit of we follow them behind sometimes. I mean, not in all cases, but in some we do. And it's worrying that we've seen cases in the United States of insult-motivated attacks. And now, as you say, this, this has been happening here as well. And of course, the, the natural worry, but also the, the job of people that look into security is to say, okay, you know, what is this? Is this a threat? And, uh, you know, how do we stop this? That is my overriding concern with the Jake Davison case itself is that the coverage that it received, um, both in the media and within academia, there was um, a wealth of studies and research that came out. And I think some of it, it could be questioned. And I think raising the attention to the movement the way that we have done 
and not explained it properly, that only furthers the risk of an incident happening again. We've drawn attention to it, but we haven't discussed the problem. No, not at all. And that's why I think the work you're doing, Matthew, is, is so important. And uh, hopefully a podcast like mine today is, is raising awareness. I think part of the problem is awareness. Part of the problem is that we, as a society, don't really know how to deal with this. There's so much of this also wrapped up within the other conversations happening about toxic masculinity, feminism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That it, for me, anyway, it gets really difficult to kind of be able to define something, to be able to understand something and not be swept away by the ideology of the left or right wing or whatever it is telling you how to frame a discussion and which lens you use. For me, though, when there's blood spilt and when there's violence committed, it merits and it warrants our attention and especially uncomfortable as it might be to be able to view this from every different angle and to try and cr crack down on what the problem exactly, where it might be rooted. And this is where I want to get into at this part of the conversation as well. It's, you know, let's crack open this insult and movement and let's see what's inside, you know, what we can get from sociology and from research and from other different branches of knowledge. One of the papers that I thought was really interesting had to do with Speckard and Ellenberg, Dr. Anne Speckard, uh, director of the International Center of Study in Violent Extremism. The claim that these researchers made was, or suggested, was at least that some of these insult men may themselves suffer from mental health problem. This was in a, in a study done in 2021. This, for me, immediately raises a, a fresh set of questions. And again, this, this has to do with challenging ourselves to, to be able to understand what the incel movement is from different angles. And th that's why I think this, this quote that I'm giving you from, from Speckard and Ellenberg is so important, because it challenges us to be able to not do the immediate casting of the incel of, uh, you know, backwards, angry, white, working class, young men from out of London, and, you know, just put them in a little box and don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do. I think that kind of mentality is not helpful. Helpful, and it doesn't really answer the, any of the questions raised. And if we can't question them honestly and get honest answers, then we have no hope of, of being able to stem the tide, so to speak. But I digress. My question regarding specifically to Speckard and Ellenberg is, is it possible that self-identified insult young man can be both at the same time? Somebody that suffers from mental, mental health problems but also be somebody that we can hold criminally and fully liable for the responsibility of their actions. What's your take on that? I think it's crucial that we can see the mental health aspect of the ideology um, just from looking at the self-image of those who identify as incel. They often feel as though they've been rejected by society. There, there are numerous studies um, saying things about ADHD is one many incels sort of self-diagnose with, and that's the problem with some of the statistics. Having read the Speckard and Ellenberg one, that, that study isn't, that's a, that's a factual-based study. But there are other studies that have evaluated the manosphere and run studies on subreddits such as our incel. Um, I think it is something that we do need to look at. We have a 
rhetoric in Britain about mental health where we need to talk about it. And we've had that for the last sort of 10 years. I think what we're seeing now is a case of where's the action that follows the talk? Um, there is only a certain amount of things that that you can achieve. There needs to be some some sort of progress. And if you don't relate that to how somebody is living their life, then you're almost banging your head against a brick wall. Um, and within the, 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 the communication spaces of the incel movement, there's almost a, a celebration of poor mental health, depression and poor self-worth, everything like that, because it feeds into their narrative of, yes, I, I am left behind. So it's something that we need to talk about. I think there's the newsworthiness of the incel and its relationship to sex is the tip of the iceberg. And I think not acknowledging mental health as part of the discussion about that is going to do a disservice to our future research and any rehabilitation work that we do in the future. I completely agree with you. I think as you were saying that, I was also thinking that part of the problem might stem from the fact that when we're looking at strong emotions uh, like rejection and strong responses to that, such as misogyny and in the worst of cases, mass violence and shootings, we're talking about a certain weight of this problem, a certain kind of difficulty in any solutions that we might put forward. This is not a quick fix. This is not an easy solution. And I think one of the problems that the news media might have with that is that because of the speed that you get bulletins and news coming forth and the, this happened in that part of the world and there's always a new drama and a new chaos. But when we're talking about these difficult set of problems, they don't have an easy answer. I think that represents half of the problem within understanding the incel ideology. It does make society raise questions about itself. Um, and I think that's something that we might get onto later. Yes, definitely. It holds a mirror to a lot of the problems that we have as a society in regards to youth, in regards to masculinity, in regards to violence and many other things. And uh, we will definitely get be getting to that as well. All right. Well, let me throw a, another one at you, Matthew. ONS statistics prove that outside of gender-related violence, men experience violence at a far more significant rate, according to Elkin 2019. This is also applicable to statistics pertaining to, to suicide and self-harm. So this, and this is from ONS statistics, which is as verified as statistics gets. But here, to me, that's highlighting that men are also experiencing violence at a significant rate. And putting that side by side with our discussion just now on mainstream media and how this debate is framed and how this problem is presented, do you think there's a correlation there as well about certain issues being glossed over, not being talked about, not being understood, being taken for granted, and, and not being properly divulged? Is there a case of media silence, and specifically in regards to male suicide and self-harm? And do you think that silence in any way relates back to what we're seeing with the insult movement and the actions that it's, some of its members are taking? Absolutely. I think the media framing is critical. We don't tend to hear about men's mental health or anything in the news. Um, 
And I think what we need to get away from is applying gender to violence. We need to start accepting as a society that violence happens to everyone, whether it be male or female, female or male, male or male, female or male. Um, what, what you do tend to find though is when you raise points about men's issues, they tend to come up in discussions about violence on females because there isn't a space for men to have those conversations. What tends to happen is that they then get shut down. We're, you're only talking about this because um, you want to make yourself feel better. And we've seen um, academics such as Jordan Peterson and Warren Farrell, who were very much behind the feminist movement, now talking up from um, speaking up for men's issues. And they now face crucifixion on their online podcasts and YouTube because they're not espousing the the, the the feminist framing of the media where domestic violence is almost exclusively an action that happens to women. Domestic violence is always physical and that's not always the case at all. There are plenty of men who suffer from manipulation in a relationship. And if they don't have a space to get these issues out, then they will turn to areas of the internet where they, they get support which again, I guess, relates back to where we were talking about the mental health issues. If they feel like they've completed the talking process with recognized um, practitioners, psychologists, etc., and they find a space where their views are getting backed up and they're getting support. For some people, it could be the first time that they experience this. That's a very, very powerful thing, especially when you feel that your issues aren't getting reflected in the mainstream. Um, the Mankind Initiative ran an advert a few years ago and it depicted male on female um, argument in a park and people were there threatening to call the police and when they flicked the situation around people were laughing and I think that's a problem that we really need to start addressing in society. We need to break away the, the, the gender aspect of violence and start accepting violence for what it is that affects everybody. Certainly. Uh, absolutely. Well, there's, there's so much to go off on there, Matthew. But one, one of the things that is strikes me immediately is when we talk about that silence and we talk about the, the void that is created, or for lack of a better word, a void that is left behind by not discussing certain things or discussing uh, certain topics under only one kind of uh, cleansed, uh, politically correct or whatever it is, party line, a void is created. And unfortunately, that void for, as you say, many young men leads them to seek support, which actually only ends up twisting things further and corrupting and, and leading to these kind of violent outcomes. Now, I'm not the person, and, and this podcast is, of course, not the place to be casting aspersions on any one kind of ideology or discussing the finer points of uh, feminism. It's, it's, of course, outside of my area of expertise. The focus that, that I have and that M.I. Cynic has, security focus. But I think to be able to answer that question, it's not about where we stand on an ideological level, but it certainly has a lot to do with being very clear and precise about what we're looking at. To do that, unfortunately, we have to sometimes be able and willing to, to discuss which factors are making a problem worse, are making people more likely in this case to lash out in violent negative emotions. And I think you're absolutely right, as far as I can see, that the current media environment is actually pulling perhaps young people 
into further problem instead of dragging them out. And I think this is a discussion that we need to have, but where it gets very complicated is, as you say, it gets very difficult to talk about in-cell members as potential victims of, of this t- twisting of narratives and twisting of reality and lashing out of emotions. When we're also being asked, of course, to principally see them as perpetrators of violence and representatives of misogyny and figureheads of, let's say, all everything wrong with masculinity. And I think this is where it gets really, really difficult. How can you help if you, you're being asked to take a stand to be judgmental? What do you make of that, Matthew? Do you think that perhaps in placing so much attention to them as perpetrators, we're losing focus of being able to actually help, uh, especially the younger men who might be in danger of uh, stepping into incel uh, mindset. I think we we need to talk about it more. And I think in terms of young people, um, the proliferation of social media and the ability of extremist groups or extreme metrics to sort of, for want of a better word, infiltrate many platforms, it can be Roblox, Discord, when we're being asked as a society to be to look, we're looking at this problem, we're looking at the shootings happening, we're looking at other forms of violence manifesting themselves, but we're being asked to view them as a perpetrator. And it makes sense, you know, to an extent is, you know, when somebody commits a heinous act, immediately you would hold them responsible. I think where it gets complicated with the insult movement is that a lot of the people, a lot of the young men specifically that are being pushed to the fringes are being pushed because of another factor. We say, no, no, these are representatives of an evil, fascist, sinful, toxic masculinity. There's nothing we can do to help them. We have to start at the very top of the system, tear down the patriarchy, and then maybe we can get around to helping these people. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me there's there's many inherent flaws with looking at it that way, as all systemic uh, and never talking about the individual. I think breaking down the stereotype that's been attributed to incel is crucial. Um, the, the imagery that they use is so violent, but when you consider those who sort of make up most of its subscribers, they've been raised on a diet of Grand Theft Auto, Call of Duty, and that violence in the media in terms of film and everything as well. So it's, it's, it's not really, it shouldn't come as a surprise that they sort of start making those connections as, as a way to 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 be heard, to make a stance. I've got an issue and I'm not being listened to. Well, I've seen throughout history, like if people do this, then something will happen. And maybe us sort of subscribing to the image that they put out of this toxic masculinity, you do forget that actually within the subculture, there is a lot of hurt in there. These people are hurting. And it's very hard to see vulnerability within a monster. I think this speaks to the heart of the problem, Matthew, because where does the story start? The story starts with young men for different reasons, feeling as if they're being pushed into the fringe. And, you know, it doesn't help at all that being male because of male biology, testosterone, whatever you might call it, because of centuries of history of this stereotype of men or whatever it is that leads them to not talk about their feelings and seek solidarity with other father figures. You know, it might be a complex mix of factors there that young men are being pushed. They lash out 
when they don't receive support, when they don't receive a positive way forward, they lash out. And, you know, that lashing out can be frightening, can be scary, can be dangerous, can be violent, can be a lot of things. And when it hits the news media, the judgment, the focus is on the lashing rather than pull factors that led these young men to to lash out in the first place. And I think that's the there's a tragic cycle here that we're all getting it wrong. The young men not seeking support in the right places to begin with, not seeking positive ways out of their predicament. Society that pushes them in the first place. And then the strong news media cycle that judges the lashing instead of being able to dive into the deeper questions of, okay, where did this cycle start? Let's have that debate. So it seems that all the heads are clashing (laughs) and there's no conversation taking place. It's interesting to think of it as as a start point because academia sort of has agreed upon the Ilana X blog in 1997 being the starting point of the incel ideology. But in my opinion, there's you can see aspects of their ideology in incidents of mass violence before that. For example, Mark Rapine at in Montreal Polytechnic College, um, the Columbine shooting, there are aspects of being left behind by society, being bullied, a fascination with guns present in, in that case as well. And then you look at what was happening in terms of the, the cultural things. Woodstock 99 was an absolute misogynistic fest. You had the girls gone wild on TV. You had pickup artists shows on VH1. And you look now and there were signs that we were heading this way 20 years ago and we never acknowledged it. And I think that has brought us to where we are now. I think it's really interesting that there's a start date to, yeah. to be in. I mean, to me, it seems that a lot of the, the root problems of the involuntary celibacy is it's not necessarily anything new. The problems that masculinity and, and humanity have had struggled with for untold eons, you know, but now we're calling, now there's an insult movement and everything that's associated with that as well. And I'm actually wondering, you know, is, is that helpful? Is, is it a helpful way of framing this as, oh, that was an insult attack and that is an insult individual and that is the insult hangout and the insult flag. I mean, it, are, are these really helpful or do they actually stop the deeper conversation taking place about, okay, you know, what is the problem at the heart of masculinity that leads to violence? We're going to label any time that a male turns to violence as an insult attack, then we run the risk of labeling theory. And if we keep telling everybody that they are violent misogynists, then there's plenty of theories to suggest that that's what people will be. If we keep alienating people and saying that if if anybody was to talk about uh, lack of representation in the media for men and then get called a misogynist repetitively, all that is going to do is is feed them, not understanding it and taking the aspect, the shocking aspect to give it a face isn't really helping because it's being painted as a monster and it's a nasty, horrible ideology, but there are very humanistic elements the drivers and as we said the pull factors towards it as well and i think labeling the incel as a monster prohibits people from understanding the human aspect of it um i've seen from posts in local news um relating to the jake davidson case that the the frequency of the word incel is 
two, three, four hundred times more than what it was six months ago. And it's it's people that I'm not sure understand it. It can be 10-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds. I, as a 40-year-old man who studied it now for nearly two years, still fail to understand exactly what it is. Um, there's so many different facets to it. So to just focus and say it's an incel attack, he's driven by violence, it's a response to just the, the toxic masculinity, you're never going to address the problem. All you're going to do is, is make it worse. Now, I think that's really interesting, Matthew, on, or for a number of reasons. One of them is, of course, the fact that as you say, the quick and easy labeling of things that it creates sound bites that perhaps fit in a Twitter 140 character limit yeah. or, or whatever it is, but they don't really help us understand that all of the, the complex factors at play. For what it's worth, from my perspective, I think that the more I discuss this with you, the more I realize that there is there's a dual element to this of, of you know, on the one hand, the core of the insult movement uh, or or just of people as young men whatever you want to call it uh, at the core there's something ancient the yeah. predisposition to violence the, the the not being able to stare at your problem at being honest with yourself or understand the feelings that are happening and the recourse to lash out in strong emotions uh, i think that is ancient it's not not something new and it's certainly not something that our generation has is the only one to have had to deal with. Yeah. I mean, you know, our grandparents had World War II, and uh, so th there's always, in every generation, I think this has been a problem. It's strange that you talk about generational incidents like that. For example, the World War, I think, for the generation slightly below ours, that what was happening on social media in terms of the bullying and the abuse, it almost is. It's like a virtual warfare. Well, and that's the new. I think that's that's where the new element comes in. That's where the yeah. the second part of the, the of the insole movement. That that's when it becomes a movement. When you when you throw in the social media, and over the last twenty years that that's been uh, available or fifteen or whatever it is, and and that's when you know the. Uh, I don't know if we can call it an ideology, but certainly a, a kind of movement is spawning with a, their own memes and jokes and and their own belief systems and structures. And uh, you know, among them, I would add nihilism yeah. and despair and their fixation with intrinsic factors outside of their control, uh, the blaming of of women, um, for example, or or how they see their their height or their other facial uh, features or, or physical features as as the root of the of the problems that they're not able to well etc 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 and when you throw that together a sort of pseudo scientific conspiracy theory is born and it appeals uh, to millions or thousands or however many it is of of these young men um but I'm wondering these factors that predispose themselves to resort or justify violence is it the belief structure that guides them towards these lashing outs? Or is it necessarily that they view an unjust world that they feel they have to correct through violence? I mean, how do you draw those divisions? I would have to totally agree with you on your second point. It's a response to what they view as an unjust world. Um, I think that we are seeing Women are very successful in the 21st century, a lot more successful than what they have done, and that's gender equality, doing a really, really good job. Um, but you can see for the people that make up 
and subscribe to this ideology or subculture that they feel that this advancement in, in the liberation of women, for example, uh, things such as um, female selectivity on Tinder, if you're not over six foot, don't swipe right, et cetera, et cetera, if you don't earn a six-figure salary. And it's like, we talk about them in the public, it's just trivial little things, but if that is if that is your life and you see that every day, those characteristics, I guess, the using violence as a response to those characteristics, it's almost a logical progression. Right. The logical progression that, that leads, as you say, from the tiny things that seem insignificant yeah. at first, a sort of a, a collection of all of these perceived injustices. We would talk about some of their issues and for one of a better expression, it would be water off a, off a duck's back. Um, but if you're continuously getting told that you, you need to be six foot, you need to have a six-figure salary, you already feel like you're being left behind. You've tried your best, you've you've done your school, you've got a job and you're still not getting anywhere and there's still these obstacles getting put in your place. There comes a point where it, it's like just the turning to violence to get noticed, I imagine, is, is the primary driver. So this is interesting because in, in at least one of the factors that you've mentioned, it isn't simply, as far as I can tell, women doing this to men, but it might also very much be the case that men do this to men. I mean, men are really? ultra competitive. And so, you know, the insult movement is, is of course, uh, framed in the mass uh, media, the as very specifically, you know, the stereotypical misogynist, lonely, young, white working class. We have that image. But I'm wondering, Matthew, because a lot of these sound like the injustice in a man's world, so to speak, that can be a lot more of a cruel and horrible place. Yeah. Because, you know, it might just be the case, and uh, we'll have to get Jordan Peterson in here, that women mm-hmm. are in uh, much more predisposed to mercy and compassion as yeah. an evolutionary sort of principle there, of course, because if, if you're going to have a child, you need to care for it because it's a year of <laughs> constant yeah. work. I think my sister could attest to, yeah. to how much that is. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is if women are indeed statistically speaking, have more characteristics of mercy and compassion and altruism, whatever you want to call it, a lot more than men, then wouldn't it stand to reason as well to say a lot of the complaints that the incel movement has towards the the modern world actually stems from the fact that it's more the case of men doing this? I would have to say, I think this is one of the things that we do get wrong a little bit about the incel subculture is there is the same amount of bile um, projected towards males as well. The archetypal, traditional, handsome male with the six pack and all that sort of thing. They are held in the same esteem as women within this space. They are the, 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 the brain, they are the root of the problem. Um, so and I think that's a failing of our labeling in society, I guess, to sort of say, well, actually, it's, it only consists of misogynistic men that hate women, because that's, that's not true. There is an aspect of hatred there as well um, towards men. And there is sympathy within their space for, for far-right extremism, Islamist extremism as well. And they are not ideologies that are driven by gender. Um, and I think this is a half of the problem with the media framing that we've got at the moment is that the fact is we have said that incel as a subculture or as a, a form of violence, it's misogynistic and it's based against women. 
that's not specifically true because when you look at the statistics in the victims, the majority of the victims in these attacks, looking over the last five to six years, they are predominantly male. For me, this is really fascinating. I mean, some of the things that we've been discussing today, the figures of male suicide, self-harm, but as well, as you say, the fact that in the incel movement, it's known to those that look into it, that a lot of the hate and uh, strong negative emotions and, and even violence is directed at men as well. And I completely agree with you. I mean, I lose myself as an example. Before coming into the conversation with you today, Matthew, if somebody were to bump into me and ask me, what is the insult? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of insult? I would have completely agreed with you. I would have said it is a case of misogyny driven by complete ignorance and backwardness. And now discussing this with you a little bit, I understand how much more complicated this is and how it, it's, it, there's a strong element of misogyny in there, but it's more than that. It's an injustice towards the world. It's the left behind. And um, it plays on a lot of different things between youth and nihilism and, uh, and many other aspects of, of modern life. And fundamentally, I think all of these things are, as you said before, holding up a mirror to what as a society is happening, taking place, and the product of that. And it's interesting how instead of being able to have that discussion on everything from mental health to the economic impacts to, uh, you know, the divides in society that are that are shaping this insult movement, we just focus on the lashing out and the misogyny because those are easier sound bites. Those are that's an easier story to sell, so to speak, than you know, society is, is tearing itself apart to the point that we have scores of, of young men that are uh, just waiting for the to pull the trigger. That's a harder one to sell. <laughs> and it's not uncommon to meet men that do you feel like they're getting a rough end of the stick? But in my personal experience, none of them are advocating a turn to violence. And I think... We're almost verging on a point where I know that the Police Scotland recent campaign of the, the Don't Be That Guy campaign, well, me as a researcher looking at something like this and being told by the Scottish police, don't be that guy, it's like, well, don't label me as a male as, as this, because that just feeds back into exactly what we were saying about labelling two minutes ago. And I hope you'll stay with us for the next episodes that we've got planned. Please remember to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and more. And of course, to check out our website for the latest episodes. Thank you so much and have a great day.